Welcome to my podcast. This is the Joyful Podcast and is a raw journal of the mindfulness revolution that I'm documenting in my way that I'm trying to do my best to compel because the revolution of the discovery, empowerment, and enlightenment of the self and understanding of others through that is at an all-time high and an all-time potential to break down some of the walls and some of the problems that we have so we can begin focusing on some more legit stuff to solve together to improve the world so let's keep this thing going a long time this is my documenting of what happens to it and my attempt to make it go as long and as strong as possible my name is ethan edward sherritt i am the host of this creator funded podcast and today i do have a guest This is an artist and professor named Paul Rucker. He is a professor at VCU Arts at Virginia Commonwealth University. He travels the world. He's given TED Talks and puts up concerts featuring his bass and cello looping performances along with visual arts, all of his creation. His exhibits at the moment are at Museum of Contemporary Art. Am I saying this right? The Institute of contemporary art in Richmond, Virginia. They will be traveling to various parts of the world, just like he is. He's a very frequently traveling, performing man. Check out some of his concerts on YouTube, some of his exhibits, and see what the comments say. (laughs) Um, People find his work to be compelling, interesting, haunting, disturbing, and often simply effective, entertaining. He's got a a sense of humor. Check out my conversation with Paul Rucker. What I want to do is do a podcast, and it's recording now. Okay. But there's a flaw in the the newest version that you don't get to see. That's a digital thing there. That sounds like a download digital... Oh, it used to, it's supposed to look like this microphone right. and the levels, mm-hmm. and the levels, so you can see when you're redlining and stuff like that. Have you reinstalled it? Yeah, and they know it, and I just can't find a better ver- like thing that does this, because even though it blocks out part of it that when we're recording, the editing aspect of it is still legit. They know it because it's a... It's, it's a f- error, or is it, did they have to take away certain stuff it was because they got sued? when Android came out with the new software update. Yeah. Like for the S8. I hate when that happens. I know. And then what can you do? And then you can't go back to the, the old one. They're like, this won't work. This won't work. This won't work. So yeah, one of the things I'm trying to do is make sure that when I say, all right, the podcast is over. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. thanks, dude. And then we yeah, have yeah. a good conversation after I turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> Really? No, you, don't, you keep it running. You get the conversation. You get a good yeah. conversation each time, right? Yeah, and it it's not going to start with 
where it starts. It's going to start with whenever it gets good. Okay. So. Okay. Um, cool. And we don't have to keep on looking at the microphones. No, I, I just meditatively look. I like technology, so. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. But, um, however, that's uh, that's what we're doing. So thank you. You could sure get a lot of. Um, People who would want you to come on their podcast and talk, man. No, I mean, I enjoy talking about things, and I've, we've talked a lot, so this is this will be nice and a uh, different perspective. Because uh, a lot of folks, they have, strangely enough, weird agendas. Uh, people are using stories to sell advertisement, so they're not always about the story. And I, I don't want to call out any publications or any... Well, there's journals. an industry called journalism Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's extinct though right (laughs) yeah which if you want to be and I studied that that's what I went to school for Mm -hmm. and then it becomes such that like what you're working on is just making it now it's I mean clickbait is a real phrase and and my work with clan robes has definitely been used as clickbait I mean I've I've seen McDonald's ads and other ads before but the news story and even on, you know, I look at CNN for, uh, not because they're a great news source, just because they're like the least common denominator. I kind of want to see how they're framing the news. Mm-hmm. And then I go to The Guardian or somewhere else. But I'll go to CNN and there'll be horrific stories and they'll be preceded by advertisement. When there's like a school shooting, I think they pick and choose and they say, we don't want it to be, okay. be on that before it goes live. So I think they actually choose... They're very careful about certain things, not having advertisers before. So yeah. I'm always fascinated what has advertising and what doesn't have advertising. I haven't, you know, I haven't paid attention to what the advertisements are after a shooting. They don't, they don't want to have their name in front of it. Yeah. Advertisers don't. Hmm. Unlike a major shooting. Do you think that there are professionals that um, work at advertising agencies that are like, well, we have, we have to pay for this tone that can be aired after a violent act mm-hmm. because it still makes us respectable. We still get our word out and that's actually valuable mm-hmm. because if we tone it in a way that sells the product with all those viewers, it's not like, hey, Paul, let's get a Bud Light. It's like, you know, then you show the one that has the Clydesdales running down and, and like the bonding yeah. You know? I'm thinking of more like if there's a school shooting and they have a Remington uh, gun commercial, you know, they're not going to do that. You know, it's Probably just... Probably not. It's just some things are just... It, you, you, it would be posted on social media. People would get really upset because bad ad campaigns get a lot of press now. When Dove had that advertisement where they, like, uh, you know, had the uh, black girl, you know, take a, a, you know, undress and she reveals that she's white under there, you know, that would that went uh, viral. I didn't see that. Yeah, because they took it down pretty fast. Or the monkey thing, the H and M with the kid. You know, they had the monkey reference to on a shirt. Yeah. He was modeling that. That went viral at H and M. I mean, they trashed a store somewhere because of a bad advertisement. So, a bad advertisement from years ago might have just went, oh yeah, that's not good, and nothing happened. But now it goes viral and it incites people to riot or destroy oh, things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You, you seem like you're in touch with like pop culture because as like a thermometer of the times. Definitely. 
Definitely. Yeah. I'm 50 now, so it's a little trickier when you try to stay hip with language and, you know, trends and things. They change quickly. And Do yeah. you do that with music? I, music? Not anymore. You... I can't keep up. I can't do it. I, I, I hit that threshold where I don't know what the latest, and they'll say someone's name, and I just don't know who they are. But I was obsessed growing up. There was nothing I didn't know. Um, all genres, all styles, you know, I kept up with it. And uh, but something happened in the past, probably seven years. I just could, I just can't keep up with everything. I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the things are rehashed because I'll have you know my students in class will say, "Hey, check out this," and it's like, "Well, check out this." You know, this is where they got it from, and your version is not nearly as good, nor is, okay. it, nor is it original. But so I've, I've lost a lot of enthusiasm for a lot of new music. I mean, occasionally there's um, you know amazing voices out there. You know doing amazing things but i you know but this just still harken back to the old masters you know like uh i don't want to say anyone's name you can this really, oh yeah, yeah. You should, no you shouldn't i yeah, can you can <laughs> you don't want to reference to you know artists that you know it's like wow that's really cool or she sounds like billy holiday or wow she sounds great or she sounds like you know there's a lot of people who you know sound or try to get like you know the voice of Whitney Houston. I mean that okay. such a little body and huge voice. She was probably one of the biggest voices. Man, and uh, in I the think past, I just had a dream about her the other day. She's she was a force. She was a force. I mean, and there hasn't been a whole lot. I mean, even like look at rappers. I mean, Tupac. I mean, there really hasn't been uh, many rappers since Tupac. Kendrick Lamar is doing some amazing stuff. Uh, I think he is too. Yeah, I haven't listened to it in two years. But when an album came out a couple of years back, I was like, "To Pimp a Butterfly." That's legit. Was it to Pimp LA a guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Was it to Pimp a Butterfly? I don't even know. Yeah, is uh, it's gonna be all right. Uh, that's the song. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I love myself. Oh yeah, that yeah. So, so that's to Pimp a Butterfly. That's yeah, yeah, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Actually, I was listening to it yesterday. And right. um, that was wonderful, wonderful. I mean, he, he's the first rapper to win a Pulitzer, so he won this year. A Pulitzer? So, yeah. That's usually something that, you know, people in jazz or classical. That's legit. It's legit. It's not a lot of money as far as prizes go, but it's not about the money. It's about the recognition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously he probably doesn't need the money. I mean, he did the Black Panther soundtrack and did plenty of other things, you know, so he's mm-hmm. he's, he's doing okay. But his yeah, Grammy he, speech made it seem like he wasn't after the money, I think, you know? I think that's And what, other people yeah. would say that, too. It's, however, yeah. he seemed like he genuinely I think he willing to chooses. do stuff that's not necessarily... I bet he picks and chooses what he wants to do, and I think he always has. I, don't, I, I doubt that you could find something that he didn't want to do in nice. his catalog. So, yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah. You know what this album I, I listened to, I tried to listen to mm-hmm. as I was washing uh, the folding clothes the other day at night. The other day at night. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that guy's name? Post Malone. Post Malone, yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I looked him up actually. Uh, he was on some late night show. And I think I liked it. Yeah? And then I went to look him up and say, who is this person? Yeah. And um, 
I, I can't. I don't want to say anything about it either. I mean, for me to look up something, there must have been something that I thought was either unusual or brilliant about him. I'm with you. I was intrigued, and mm-hmm. I was like, "All right, this is now. This mm-hmm. is now." That's why I looked it up. And he was doing something very different. His delivery was different, and uh, yeah, uh-huh. it's kind of odd. What'd you find out? Well, I just I tried to on Spotify like premium. You can listen to the album, and it's an awesome thing. I think that really. Yeah, you can wow. listen to the, like, I don't know, whatever I pay for it, but it's Spotify is one of those premium things that I'm like, I'm yeah. going to always have. So you can listen to the album, almost every album. Did they work out that deal with the, what the artist makes and all? Or is that, was that the other one? Oh, that is Spotify. Cause, yeah. Because some artists were getting like tens of thousands of plays and making $12. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's, that, I mean, it's like the old music thing again, you know. There's probably a threshold. I don't know, but I think if you're getting played, you know, played tens of thousands of times, you know, I don't know what it means, you know. Uh-huh. How do you control that? I mean, you could do what, what Jay-Z did, I guess he started, whatever that music service was. I haven't heard anything about it lately. No, me either. I can't even remember the name of it. But Spotify just went public, right? I mean... Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. The guy's the big... He's made the most money anyone has ever in the music industry. As an individual, he's made the most money than anyone. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, anyway, I listened to the first song and I was like, "Man, this is like it's pretty cool." And then the second song, and then the third song, I was like, "What am I doing? Mm-hmm. Why why am I listening to this?" What what happened? What do you or what's going through your brain? <sighs> um, what's going through my brain is um, it was so laden with like. You said you're not hip on phrases anymore, but mm-hmm. the phrases, it seems like they're hard not to be hip right, with. Right. And so much about just like, like I could see a young artist being totally like multimillionaire in which you, which you have to talk about, especially in hip hop, right. about how famous you are and how many girls are at your party and how you're right. two girls at a time for a long time and mm-hmm. many girls and how cool your airplane is. Right. You're talking about this a lot. Right. But then you temper that with, like, it's hard to have real friends. <laughs> it's, I got to not trust anybody. So, like, my, my crew is around me, and they're ready to make them things go ratatat-tat, ratatat-tat. Okay. Okay, so that's where we get back to the edge and the sorrow and the sadness. And I just, at this age, I'm 40-plus, and you're almost 50. I'm 50. You're 50. I turned 50 in April, yeah. Right. Do you think he's parody? Or do you think he's serious? Or do you think he's some kind of parody satire thing? That's where it gets you. Is it's yeah. like a parody sa- Because you can't, if you're that... First of all, the dude is awesome. Because I saw him before he became like this massive thing that he is now. Just like a few years ago at one of the Los Angeles um, music schools. They were like, hey, this is this artist, Post mm-hmm. Malone. He's going to talk a little bit about like his career. And he just seemed like so willing to bring young kids in and laugh with them. I mean, he seemed like an awesome dude. So he could be playing a character. Yeah, it's a, it could be a character. But I'm thinking like when he's... I've seen so many people come through a career when they skyrocket and then they become the John Lennon thing when they're like, now it's Zen. Now I mm-hmm. want to do a concert on a roof and I want to sit in yeah. bed for 10 like days in a row and I want to bring peace and I'm elevated now and so yeah I kind of I'm after like the elevation and I don't know how people can be like 
on this path, I don't want to be before you get elevated. I don't want to be before yeah. you throw all that away yeah. and before you go to Africa and you go on a mission and then you come back and then you reinvent yourself, you write a book. I know that's coming, so I'm yeah. not going to get into this. Yeah, no, but you know I, I mean, I, I, mean I, I saw a lot of people in Seattle. Well, I mean, rise. I mean, Seattle has a lot of amazing artists that can, you know, not just uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, but, you know, Fleet Foxes and, um, just, just tons of bands, and um, uh, Father John Misty, he okay. He moved. He was in Seattle, and I played. We did this thing uh, called Rock Lottery. I played with him. He played drums, mm-hmm. and um, you know he he wasn't Father John Misty then. That whole thing is obviously a persona, you know, because no one names their child Father John <laughs> Misty, but Good you know it's a character, and and mm-hmm. it, it works. Yeah, it works, and I, I think people like to be. We we like to play games. We like to, you know, when little girls like to play tea, you know, and pretend like they're princesses. And I think it never really goes away. I think cops pretend want to pretend like they're superheroes. I think, uh-huh. uh, I think there's this persona that we take on when we do different things. You know, artists do it as well. Artists take on different personas when they're in different situations. Yeah, and uh, I think I think many do. Um, but yeah, but I think he might be Post Malone might be pulling the wool over all of us, you know, and, and just making he might just be making fun of those lyrics. Um, Actually, when you when if you I feel like back, any if I feel like anybody out there is being exploited or their sensibilities are like not informed, mm-hmm. and that's why they like it. It's mm-hmm. hard, even though if I've had a couple of drinks and I want to just a time and a place type of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like this if I'm blah blah blah. Yeah. Even though it's still hard for me to like really have dig it if I think the soul is just on its on its earlier path rather than its more informed path. You know. What do you feel like? Do you think you listen differently if you like? Remember when we used to buy these things called CDs? You know, we'd buy these things, and mm-hmm. you know, they would cost you know sometimes sixteen, eighteen dollars, and we would have this one physical copy that we'd have to take the effort of putting in this machine and taking out to put another one in. Mm-hmm. So we actually, I mean, every CD that I bought, I knew really well because we would play it over and over again. Because uh, to know what the song after it is. Exactly. And we to know how the thing exactly. is laid out. Exactly. And it was albums were a concept album. Like we mm-hmm. mentioned Kendrick Lamar, that's a concept album. It starts out with the, the vinyl sound. Every nigga is a star, you know, and then it breaks into the uh, tune, and mm-hmm. yeah, you, you have the funkadelic voice guy, you know, Clinton in there, and oh, is he? Yeah, there's okay. a lot of a lot of people in that album, and um, yeah, and it, but you, but you know, the album as a whole, and you know, at the very end when he's talking to his producer. You know, his producer's talking about Nat Turner, you know, 1831, and, and but it ends so well with that in studio session it's really a nice uh segue but we don't have concept albums as much now we, we buy singles you know we, mm-hmm. we people uh they'll push a single if they can push one song i mean we did have the same thing we had 45s and we and then we had cassette singles because singles they called them mm-hmm. they were 349 and uh i used to work at a music store and we sold a lot of them and the, those profit margins were great but but i guess my question <laughs> for you is like do you think you'd listen to post malone differently if you actually bought the cd instead of listening to it on spotify oh uh, yeah for sure yeah for sure 
then I then it'd be about a story that's your pre, that's presented. It, it would be better. Mm-hmm. I would have to. You're right. I would have to take it better. Yeah, yeah. I think we listen differently uh, when we have some level of investment, like real investment, uh, as far as uh, my. Uh, artist that I admire greatly, this guy named Trimpen, he does kinetic sculptures. He is brilliant, you know, he's won the MacArthur, Guggenheim, and tons of other awards. And uh, he was a really good mentor when I first started doing interactive sound and video installations. And he gave me some good advice about, you know, how, uh, as far as wayfinding, as far as how people would approach the art piece. Because mm-hmm. I always assume people would immediately know what to do, and they don't. They need instructions and directions. But uh, one thing he did, he created this piece where people would go up and press a button and these wooden shoes would start making music. You know, these, uh, you know, what's the, is it Holland that has a, the, mm-hmm. the wooden clogs. shoes, the clogs, yeah, the wooden shoes. And he'd have these, you know, pneumatic um, uh, hammers to hit the inside and it would make this really cool piece. So he noticed that people would come up to the uh, piece and just hit the button and then the piece would start and then they'd walk away. But he decided to uh, put a quarter, you know, you know, you have to put a quarter in to get it to play. And people, when they put a quarter in and it started, they would stay and listen to the whole thing because they invested one quarter. What a study. Yeah, I mean, they could have been just a dime, but they had some level of investment and people mm-hmm. feel good about being part of something. That's why I think the that Kickstarter is done an amazing thing because people like being part of a product launch. They like to say that I was an early investor in something without actually putting up millions of dollars. They can like say, you know, I mm-hmm. gave fifty dollars for this the first version of these, um, this electronic thing or these sets of revolutionary knives that don't rust and they can cut through uh, a spare tire or something. Yeah, whatever Kickstarter thing you can imagine. It's brilliant. I think Kickstarter is is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. I I did my first campaign last year and I I hesitated doing it for years and, you know, and they cautioned me and said, you know, maybe put it down lower because I wanted to make it uh, 20,000. I said, well, just do 10. You know, it's your first time. Got that in two days. Did uh, you do the 10? Oh, I got the 10. I got the 15. Okay. Yeah, I got to 15. So you put it down to 10. Put it down to 10. On the advice being your first project, listening yeah. to your advice. But I think if I'd gone to 20, I might have gotten it. Or yeah. again, I might not have. Because you blew away the 10. Yeah. But the funny thing is, people, you get funding from strangers, people from across the country who've never, I don't, I don't know who they are, and I'll probably never meet them. Was this they for said, the sauce? No, this was for uh, Rewind, the the earlier project that has the clan robes and the wooden sculptures and video and animation. It's a show that I've taken to Eastern Washington, to Ellensburg, Washington, to Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, it's been to York, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. as well as Seattle and Baltimore. And part of the robes from that show are here at the mm-hmm. ICA in Richmond. Yeah. Institute for Contemporary Art. But yeah, no, but it was to help maintain the show. and. I just used some of that money today, okay. today to to get storage space because I'm moved I'm moving stuff around and inventorying it and so it's a it's a lot of work right now because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people see artwork and they see well like you you know people see your final production whether it be on the screen or stage and then they'll want you know they don't know how much rehearsal went into it and how much post production went into it mm-hmm. how much rehearsal how much time it took for you to learn your lines so I think visual art it is the same way people want to 
pretend that it was just done over a weekend or, you know, or that it was easy. And I think a lot of artists want to try to make things seem like they're easy for some reason. <laughs> and uh, they, I think they want to have this, you know, an ear of, uh, yeah, this is natural for me. And I can, you know, I can make Picasso-esque type paintings, you know, in my sleep, you know, but it really takes a whole lot of work mm-hmm. to, to produce any kind of art of quality, you know, even if it's something is I like I love improvised music, but even with improvised music, you have a history of doing that, and that's why you're good. It's like improv theater, same thing. You just can't be good at improv overnight. You, you, you hone those skills. Mm-hmm. Man, about music, you've got to start with when did you pick up an instrument, please? Mm-hmm. Fourth grade. My, well, my mom was a, a church organist, and she actually learned to play music uh, through a mail order course and I talk about her during my TED my second TED talk that's coming out hopefully soon she's a big influence love. Cool. oh I gave mom a lot of love and um, and people people like that because I mean mom's I mean while raising two kids she did she studied music and got her music degree through a mail order course and she's extraordinary she's an extraordinary Ooh. person and uh, you know, a lot of people would just give up and say, I can't go to a regular school, so I'm not going to do it. So, no, she did the mail order course. And mm-hmm. she, she did a recital, and, you know, it was one of the most important days of her life, and it was, it was amazing. And um, so Did you play that organ, too? I actually, the organ's still in the house. I'm, uh, it's an M, M4. It's a nice organ, or an M3. It's in Hammond. It's a nice sound organ. Okay. Well, I don't know organs, but the string instruments, when did you get into that cello and bass? Well, fourth grade, I started playing bass, and I played that for years. I played in orchestras through the Southeast, Savannah Symphony, uh, South Carolina Philharmonic. All the way uh, through grade school, all the way through high school? Through, through, I played all three through middle school, high school, and, went to, and got a scholarship to college. And um, you studied at Juilliard or something like no, that? No, no. I'm mostly self-taught. I studied at the University of South Carolina, I, and I, I got to college. I never didn't have never major had a in music. Lesson. Major in music. Major in music composition, and um, wanted to do some performance. But the, the real lesson was outside of school. I played with bands. I played in uh, jazz groups. I played like almost every night of the week, and I was a poor student. I mean, I had a horrible grade point average, but I was playing a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I question education. I think people should really reconsider going directly into college after high school. But we're, I think our parents are afraid that we're going to never go to college if we take a break. And I want to tell their other parents, yes. friends that, yeah, he's taking a year off. It's like, mm. oh, why? <laughs> it's like the worst thing you could possibly do is take a year off from college. And now, you know, I think, was it Sasha Malia? I think one of them might have done that. Um, oh, and, mm. you know, if, if if one of the Obama kids does it, it might make it in vogue for other kids to do it because when you're, you know, mounting up these large amounts of uh, expense, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars a year, eighty thousand dollars a year or more, that's real money. Wow. And uh, it's like, what do you, you know, and if you're studying in the arts, you know, or this does not. A direct pathway. I mean, you could study to be a doctor or a lawyer, and you may, you know, be able to justify, in some ways, those uh, guarantee of a job of some kind when mm-hmm. you graduate, or even, you know, in I always medicine. think the world needs more doctors. You know, obviously, right? Uh, you know, they need more good doctors. I think we need we need longer visits. 
I think nurse practitioners, I think that's, that's you know, that's the doctor. Good that's way, going yeah. To be, yeah, that's, that's the doctor of the future because, um, or the doctor of now, really. I think, I think we just need more time in the, in the examining room. The doctors don't ask nearly the same amount of questions as they used to. You know, if you have a visit the last 10 minutes, that's a long one. Dude, it's crazy. When your doctor comes in, mm-hmm. you're just ready for him to be gone. It's like the professor at college, you're like, I'm not going to get to ask this guy more than one question the whole semester. Mm-hmm. And, Make it good. And he's going to be thinking about three other things when I'm asking it. Yep, yep. I don't know. And he's out. Yeah, well, they don't spend much time. And there's direct there's studies that show that, you know, they're not spending enough time and they're not able to make a good evaluation because a lot of things could be physical, but a lot of things could be psychological. They're not asking you, so are you, you know, how's much stress in your life? I mean, they used to ask these things, you know, they ask, you know, about relationship stuff to just kind of get to the root of what else might be causing the symptoms that you may be having. Yeah, but they don't the, do the holistic approach that no much, even though it approach. sounds it sounds everywhere like there's a holistic approach that's more, it's getting more mainstream to be holistically minded, but you still see just prescriptions for stuff instead of, mm-hmm. like you said, how are you sleeping? Do you realize how important sleep? Yeah. How are you sleeping, by the way? Good? Oh, no, man, I get up early. I've been getting up at like five in the morning and working. And um, my sleep is off of fighting a sinus infection. And I'm a workaholic, too, just like most people. I think most people are workaholics. Yeah. And um, we don't take care of ourselves. I'm trying to go to the gym more. I've been going to spin class. But between the sinus infection, spin class, and being just stressed about, you know, you know what's next. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I even have time off now, and I feel like and I have too much work to do. Yeah. As the exhibits up, as this big, it was kind of like a big circuit of talks that you're coming off of, right? I'm always constantly. I did one last weekend. I'm doing a performance in Baltimore this coming week. Yeah, in, in, at the museum there, Walters Museum. There's always something, and I'm, I'm negotiating this museum, and uh, I can say England. They just emailed me yesterday. They want to buy a piece, and it's just, you're, yeah, I don't have an assistant now, so juggling all these things and. I'm working on a book about uh, the artistic process and that people aren't talking about mm. the, the 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 voices in our heads and you know the imposter complex. Fascinating. Know. Yep. And so every, every single artist that I've said this to talk about this book to, they just nod their head up and down because I just think you're gonna go there, man. I just think that oh, it's gonna be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's extremely uncomfortable <laughs> because no one ever this is ever an talks artist to of the uncomfortable. Uh, well, well, I mean, it's just one exercise in the book. Is you, you, the book is actually your personal book, and you, it'll be. I'll teach the class about with about twenty people, but uh, and the workbook I'm designing. You don't have to share your workbook later or your words or anything you put into it because you definitely write differently, knowing that you're going to turn something in to share with someone okay so you don't have to share anything but you share within the group but you don't have to share what's in your notebook because if i've already asked you to say you know you don't have to do this but say 10 adjectives that describe yourself and you start writing 10 things that describe yourself and now say do 10 more you get you can start getting really uncomfortable and weird It's, it's an actual pretty intense exercise because we actually deal a lot with this false self perception of ourselves Mm. And uh, and it's part of our brilliance, it's part of our gift, but it's also a curse. It, it makes us not 
put out crappy work, but it also can paralyze us from moving forward. So figuring out a way to use um, the the negative voices in a, as a tool to just help continue making quality things and producing mm-hmm. quality ideas and engagements with folks, but not having it paralyze us to, to where we're not actually achieving our goals is what this is about. Mm. Because we create our own personal limitation. We create this limitation. It's like the whole failure of imagination. We many artists have that with their their career because you know because being an artist, you, you, you tell someone you're going to study. So, well, oh, you're going to go to college. What are you going to study? You say, I'm going to be a lawyer. They go, Oh God, lawyer, great. I'm going to be I'm going to be a dentist. Oh great, pre-med. Oh, I'm going to be an artist. Oh, oh. <laughs> you, you, you are okay. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like when we we have our tonal language, people yeah. they want to almost say, "I'm sorry to hear this." It's almost yeah. like you had a death in the family, and I, I think and, and so so I want to you know and and I had this this woman she asked me on the plane two years ago and she asked me what did I do I say I'm an artist she said oh is that hard I say no not at all it's the easiest thing that I've ever had to do. You know, honoring your own authentic individual voice as an artist, that is hard. But when you finally do it, it's you know, actually if you you have to, like, ignore your influences. Okay. Ignore all the people that you admired. Ignore the people that actually inspired you to actually go into the field mm-hmm. and say, you know. Ignore the people that inspired you. Ignore them because you'll never be as good as your heroes. I'm but, all into this phrase, man, that I've just been into. I'm seeing it everywhere more now. It. It's um, your, your true north. Yeah, or yeah. Your, is it your north or your true north? It's true. Yeah. But the more you get in touch with that authenticity, mm-hmm. to the point when you realize where it's veering. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and and that's why I don't know anyone that's make that plays a cello like me. I play cello totally different because I'm self-taught and I embrace this experimentation and I just kept doing it even when no one was listening. I'd play on the street as a busker and people would pass. And then when I and, and I, my motivation was to get people to stop and listen. So I would do this playing, and then people would stop and listening. And then I knew I had something. Mm-hmm. But uh, just spending hours and hours on the street busking just for you know change and dollars, you know, is, is, it really taught me a lot of connecting. But it, but it also gave me space to try you know my own authentic voice. Um, and as a visual artist, I think one of the advantages that I have is I've never studied art, except I took an art appreciation class, and that was it. Here? So I've never taken... No, this is when I was in uh, college. When okay. I was a freshman or sophomore, I took Art 110. And it was good. It was a good class. You know, it was really, really basic. That's the only art class I've ever taken. Mm-hmm. So and now I'm in museums, which is, you know, that's... But I think the part of that gift is I don't speak or think like someone that has an MFA or any degree, and um, I really want uh, to demystify. But here's the thing, you kind of do. Oh, no. But, but yeah, you know, when I watch you talk, I, I, you're like, you captivate those people, because those are, a lot of times, that's your audience, yeah. and you're right there with them. One of the things you did was, that just makes people shut the frick up and listen, is um, do you start off with Bach, and you, you're like, and then you stop it. <laughs> yeah, I do that. And yeah. then you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I and then that. people's jaws are like, 
Holy God. Oh, they laugh. They laugh. Yeah. I, I did that at TED, actually. And, it, and it's funny because just, they just laugh. I said, we're going to innovate. I mean, this I is... saw a couple of your shows when you didn't do that. I think it was Tacoma. Tacoma, I didn't okay. do it. Okay. I, think I, did, I think I did it at TEDx Berkeley. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's uh, I think I'm I need to figure out. I need I need to figure out some other jokes though. But but yeah, but but why be? I mean, there's plenty of people that play Bach. The thing is, Bach ruined it for everybody. <laughs> he he. I mean, he took music as far as counterpoint. You know, fuse. You know, no one has ever gone. To, you can't do what Bach did and do it better. He just, yeah. he just did it, and, and people his, want. To, it's so graceful that people want to hear it again. It is, and but the thing is, is 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 we 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 get hooked in this nostalgia thing, and I think I feel the saddest for people who have careers because they oh you know what, you really remind me of blank, and people have careers based on nostalgia, and it's like it's so All damaging. Right. You can't have you can't be great. It's I think the one of the things about the young lions, you know, the. Uh, you know, these guys are amazing. You know, Joshua Redman and Christian McBride, you know, all those folks that were coming up uh, during the 90s, you know, they were amazing players. I mean, I think I remember Christian McBride saying, something I don't want to paraphrase too much, was basically they never could be seen as great or as individuals because they're always being compared. I mean, you know, mm. uh, Christian McBride is always being compared to Ray Brown. You know, any, any play, sax player playing, you know, Alto's going to get, you know, compared to Charlie Parker, you know, every tenor, you know, John Coltrane, Lester Hall. Uh, Lester Kenny G. Kenny, I mean. Not Kenny G. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, but, you know, actually there's people that, you know, make, make plenty of money sounding like Kenny G. Yeah. I mean, because if you can't afford Kenny G, you, you definitely, there's plenty of folks that are definitely influenced by his sound. <laughs> Whether yeah, you like it or not. Well, I, I just wanted to give you props for saying you say you don't speak to, um, to like the academia of the art world. Mm -hmm. And I was saying that you kind of do, but it seems like you are not. I heard you with them in the palm of your hands mm -hmm. to take them where you're about to take them, I think. With storytellers. With storytelling. That's, but, that's then, but then you're. It's so. It seemed to me like you're not going to leave behind the people that are not of that world. Like you, mm -hmm. like it's very important to you to be like, to keep it, so that like yeah, I understand this um, this talk that would have other people be so esoteric that exactly. they're they're gone. You're like yes, I I and I'm talking to you and mm -hmm. I understand that, but I'm going to keep it at this level that I almost value those who who don't get a chance to understand it right yes yes and one of the part of that is like tug of war you're like i got you but i'm not letting go of you guys over here you can't and <sighs> when i give tours in the gallery i have sometimes there's kids with adults and you're you're, you're speaking to all of them so i have to do this talk to where i'm not going to insult the kids by talking down to them but i'm not going to leave them behind if they have a question or if there's a word that comes up that i think they don't understand I'll try to explain it. And I think if you, a fourth grader should understand it. I really believe it's fourth graders. But you also still can keep it intriguing. Mm -hmm. And um, and they should know that there's something to it. It's yes. not just that a fourth grader did it. So you exactly. do have to be able to go back to its inspiration or its meaning a little bit. And, and also, I love talking about it. I love, yeah. I, I came in to the gallery on the 4th of July to talk about, uh, to, I give impromptu tours. 
I gave it, I was going to come in for about an hour. I was here for five hours. Mm -hmm. So, because I love giving these tours and, um, I love answering questions and people have plenty of questions. If it's a youth group that comes through, I give them a short tour and, you know, they, they always have questions. But I, th I think the, um, mm -hmm separation that we have the intellectual you know intellectuals you know like oh you're going to go see this play as a versus this play or you're reading this as versus this there's a hierarchy and things i didn't need to name the books mm -hmm. or the plays but there's there's a hierarchy in the arts and it really doesn't belong but i think the problem has been with the years of segregation that included the symphony, the ballet, the opera, and museums, where you know there there were the bastions of white supremacy. They kind of reminded you of who's in charge and who's on top. You know the the white composers, the the white choreographers. I mean, and the, you know. I mean, it's the, unreachable to anybody who's not in that sphere. Yeah, it's right because it's such an unreachable thing. Well, I mean, you think about who who had the patrons. You know, if you think about whose language is is, is held in history. I mean, if we know about Bach, if Bach was black, you know. Probably not, you know. If you, these certain composers had patrons, they were, you know, that they had people that supported their artwork. Mm -hmm. But then you had this, you know, uh, you know, African drumming and other traditions that were verbal traditions that were passed along. And this is something they did every hour, you know, mm -hmm. you know, many hours during the day. But then you have people like Steve Reich and uh, other composers that are heavily influenced by African drumming. They, they wouldn't have mm. a lot of these minimalist composers. They wouldn't be in existence without the influence of these polyrhythms that African drummers mm -hmm. uh, created, you know, from, you know, the culture that's, you know, thousands of years. But is there an iconic figure that, that, you know, we're all about iconic figures. Yeah. We're all about like, yeah. it's that guy. Yeah. It's so is there like just also that there's been a lack of there's no way going through the last 150 years mm -hmm. there hasn't been I mean it's all white composers right yeah but until not, yeah what 1920s no no the, the, I think see the thing is black composers have always been there but they never got a chance to be on the stage and I mean the, you can say racism created jazz because jazz musicians you could have smaller ensembles uh you it was something that was invented by you know through african-american blues tradition and we have to go back came out earlier. of freedom so that came out of freedom man I, yeah i have no idea what but look what, at, what year that would have been I, there's this um but real, real quick though i got to say drumming was made illegal during you know uh during jim crow Drumming was made illegal during slave time. Drumming was made illegal because it was a way people could communicate. If you could communicate, you could organize. If you could organize, you could be trouble. That's why after Nat Turner's raid in 1831, it was made illegal for blacks to learn how to read. That was a law. So it was also made illegal for blacks to have guns. It was also made illegal for blacks to have a symbol for more than 12 people at a funeral. I mean, mm -hmm. it was, it was, that number changed, and a lot of those laws came out of South Carolina. And uh, so this, it's important to know, you know, who's controlling the narrative and what platform they were given. Mm -hmm. You know, who was given the stage and who was not given the stage is a, is a huge thing. Mm. Yeah, only people who play the game get get into the game you know you gotta yeah. play ball well and it's if, like it, such a 
elitism thing, man. It I mean, is. It's not just. I mean, if you you can play the game and be black but not get in. I mean, you got you know Paul Robeson. You know, Robeson. yeah, but amazing voice. Uh, yeah, or that? he's amazing, legendary singer. Okay. Or uh, Leotine Price, uh, Marian Anderson. Actually, okay. I was thinking of Marian Anderson. Who's you know during a time where things were racism was you know big and segregation was big. These people were taken around. They were they were given access to these concert halls to play in a concert hall they couldn't sit in. Mm -hmm. And that's our uh, history with a lot of the arts. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a savant uh, named Blind Tom. He could hear. Any yes, case. that's who. Uh. Ah, you think you're trying to remember him? Yeah, yeah. His, his his owner, slave owner, took him around and made millions of dollars for that time. Millions of dollars. I knew there was some. Yeah, I knew there was some kind of. He's a story that some, should be told. Some radio. Dude. What's that? There, I, I listened to something about Blind Tom on mm -hmm. this. It was a whole complete hour when I was delivering pizzas mm -hmm. once, and the, mm -hmm. this show said this is this whole hour is all about Blind Tom, and it would really go into like where he was at, and some of the, what was some of the things that he would do would completely dazzle, like, like freakishly out of this world talent. Mm -hmm. What playing a violin and two hands at a time. What, what would he do that he, would, it he, would like absolutely wow people? And he could hear something one time and play it back note for note. That's right. That's yeah, right. That's one of his abilities. And he, he also wrote music as well. Mm -hmm. I actually have tried to uh, buy some uh, uh, artifacts from Blind Tom, but they're so expensive. Mm -hmm. There's one program book that was like $3,000 or something. So one of the reasons I asked you that, like what are the iconic figures mm -hmm. and stuff like that is because I do think that history has gems in it mm -hmm. that are not known sure. that people are not freaking writing about mm -hmm. making amazing movies about sure. in a legit way mm -hmm. um, and those things are going to happen man like there's going to be a Amadeus type of movie winner of best picture winner of be you know best screenplay best sound like I think so yeah it's it's you have a lot you have you have faith in the industry yeah i mean i have i wonder i mean i think i mean i, I love black panther it's a cool movie but it seemed like it was a prequel uh, you know it, it set up that big next marvel movie that just even broke more records you know yeah and i think it's the, with movies uh, you mean Hollywood, the whole franchise thing the franchise i mean you watch south park no, Look, but I they, love they, it. They did I, a great I, episode on their, they, their superhero franchise. You check it out. Did they, they just nail it? They nailed it, and they're making fun of uh, Netflix as far as you know, just signing anything and everything. But I mean, it, it, even with visual art, you know, the there are people that are rock stars that are selling ridiculous amounts of art as a commodity. I mean, it, you know, they commoditize art to where it's money and wealthy. There's speculators. There's people who are bidding up the value of people's artwork and, and it's, mm. it's a world that just makes me ill you know and I've, yeah. I've made it, I made a conscious decision that I don't particularly care to be part of that world and you know I'm, I lose a lot of money not being part of that world because yeah. I'm in a position to probably take advantage of that but it would be foolish to not follow your gut that's telling you that you know this is probably this is a slimy situation because you want people to take your work home that are going to appreciate your work. You want, yeah. you want people to go see your movie, you know, because 
you know, they heard it was a good movie, not because it grossed a hundred million dollars last weekend. And yeah. they're, they're curious about it. I mean, that's a big thing that spurs folks. Uh, when a movie is legit, like legitimate, and there are some that come out every single, uh, every scene, the, the, maybe not every year, but I love one years. last week. I saw one the other day that I really enjoyed. Uh, the, the telecommunication, the call center, Boots Riley film. I can't remember. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to disturb you. But yeah, but yeah, it's it's brilliant. Is yeah. it about a calling center in India? No, no, it's about a call center where this uh, black guy was working in this call center, and he's not doing well. Then the, the next guy next to him, who's played by Danny Glover, says, "Use your white voice." And then, it, then, then the black guy. Oh, is this out in the theater right now? It's out in the theater now. That the, the guy that was in Get Out, he's been in Selma, yep. you know, and he's in Atlanta. He's he's amazing, amazing actor. I mean, he just has this presence mm-hmm. and ability. I think he's, he's he's that looked phenomenal. It had it had gravity even in the preview that it wasn't like other movies. It's not like other movies. Yeah, it, it, it is. But if I, I don't want to tell you what it's like. Yeah. But it, but it definitely. Nothing like coming out now. I mean, if you watch, you know, uh, the Naked Lunch or something, you know, but but it, it just flows well. It mm-hmm. just flows well because there's there's a lot of layers to it, and it's just done well. It's acted well. The the there's a beautiful animation sequence in the middle of the movie. I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but there's a beautiful, amazing animation sequence that's done exceptionally well. I actually. Oh, I went to see the movie the other day, and uh, a sister of the guy who did the animation was at the theater, and uh, she's she's an artist as well, and she told me that her brother did the animation, and I was like, it killed it. It was great. It's yeah. Great. But yeah, the, the, right. but it, but there's there's art, art, artistic, there's artistry out there, mm-hmm. and I don't think we we don't have to look hard to find it. I think honestly, I think with all the channels out there, we have a lot more options now. It's really amazing quality on HBO FX, you know, with Atlanta, you know, you know, when HBO had the wire, I mean, that was killer. That was David Simon did a great, fantastic job. Mm-hmm. People talk about that with the reverence, like the wire. No, no, right. I bought it. I yeah. bought it. And it was this is before I decided to move to Baltimore. With a reverence. Yeah. Yeah. With no. A. But I've been meaning like people are still like, dude, that thing holds up. But it's you a, gotta yeah, watch it, it is a classic. I, I'll, yeah. I'd watch it again, and, mm-hmm. uh, and again, I own it. I would, I would watch it again without mm-hmm. uh, hesitation. If you ever have time. If I had time, <laughs> yeah, I still haven't <laughs> seen. I still want to see. Uh, uh, I haven't seen any Game of Thrones, which I'm not in, wouldn't be into. But oh, House goodness. of Can House we of get Cards. Away from that? House of Cards, I like to see. I, I saw it at the beginning. And I, I looked at like 15. No, no the first. Eight minutes of House of Cards, yeah. the first episode. I said, yep, "I'm going to say this for when I get sick." You could tell, right? I said, "This is brilliant." Yeah. I said, "This is this is really really good." I mean, it's so weird because I've seen so many of these guys, you know, these actors. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm of that generation that saw Tom Hanks when he was dressing up as a woman in Bosom Buddies and didn't mm-hmm. happen to have a real career. So I saw Malcolm in the Middle, you know, the guy, you know, Breaking Bad. I saw him in that, and you mm-hmm. see these guys launch and was like wow you can really act but mm-hmm. they don't get that opportunity to really act because they can get they can get typecasted in these roles of silliness i mean that's what happened i mean none of the gilligan's island folks could ever act anywhere else because they, had type- a, they couldn't act their way off of island 
They couldn't, but well, they, the show was so successful, so popular, they could, no one they go for another gig. No one could take them serious. Dude, the Gilligan's actor. Island phenomenon—that's why I think like when Netflix has to like keep a show coming, even like the ones that I think are usually have such cool things to offer, like HBO and Showtime. Mm-hmm. They still have to keep a show going, and so that's yep. why I love film is because it has to say what is it going to say in one film. It does. It has to be one. This is not. But, but, we're gonna but, keep you watching and watching for ten years. But we just talked about franchise, though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, their comic books are back not because of comic books. They're coming. They're back because I mean, Stan Lee's making more money now than he probably ever imagined he would. Right. Just for, through through these movies. And that, that, like, they're all that makes sense. Yeah. And to, I mean, they're all that makes sense business wise. Like, why would you not do it? Why would you not do it? You know. Business wise. Business wise, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's we we are living in a situation where we want to try to create as many distractions from the reality. So I think they play a role in therapy. Distractions are nice, man. Mm-hmm. You can get yeah. too distracted, though. Let me just give you props real quick for vis- making things visual. Mm, and and that. like big concepts, like mm-hmm. the light up board. Oh, cool. The yeah. light up board. Proliferation, yeah. Yeah, like some of the things are hard to take down no matter what. You're the clan robes, men. It's mm-hmm. not just clan robes sitting there. It's It looks like actual men. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. How big are those dudes? Six, six? They're seven. They're seven feet tall. Seven feet tall. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, with, with the hood at the top of the hood, yeah. It's terrifying. Just walking past it and looking down it, it's like, oh, geez. I think I just saw all the art I can take, and I can't even, I can't even get around it. It is. They've been to seven cities. I mean, they're they mostly positive. I mean, people get freaked out. Some people walk right in and it's, walk right out. I mean, honestly, dude, I, I'm an open-minded person. I'm on board with how much you have to convince people of the hard things to, mm-hmm. that they're not paying attention to. I'm on board that. But mm-hmm. I cannot be around those freaking clan robes. I can't well, uh, do it. Here's the funny thing. I, I made the first one in uh, 2014. And um, it, it was amazing because I dressed it up and uh, had a mannequin. I dressed it up. And I forgot that it was there. Then I, I was reading a book and I was raising my head. And it kind of huh. startled me a little bit. But after, after a bunch of them, no, but after the first show, I, yeah. I, I put them in my studio. I put them on my table, and I had like uh, 20 of them fully dressed in my studio, and I kept them fully dressed, and I go to sleep at night. You with mean them, the mannequins? The mannequins and fully dressed Goodness in the robes. God. Yeah. So, so you stay in the same room. It's like immersive therapy. If you were to see them all the time, they, things <laughs> don't have effect on you anymore. If you, if you were afraid of... Uh, um, Worms, and you every day for five minutes you put your hand in a tub of worms. Mm. You, the the fear of worms or the, the what they would do to you as far as make you feel disgusted, it, it would go away. Mm-hmm. They, and it's and it's about uh, my TED talk is about you know these symbols that have power over us, and it's an iconic symbol that it has power over us. And if you were to go to Spain for Easter week, you know you'll see you know, a religious sect that's wearing a similar outfit, and that's where the Klan, you know, basically got their design from. Because the Klan, you know, hasn't been around for hundreds of years. It was, you know, the first in- incarnation was 1866, and they had they were making their own costumes then, so it mm-hmm. wasn't. Then, you know, 1920s Klan, they started a standardized 
design is what I use here for my design. Mm -hmm. But long story short, if you if you expose yourself or to something, you will not. It doesn't have power over you anymore. Period. No power. No power at all. Mm -hmm. I you know I go in there and I dress them. You know I made them and they're the best quality clan robes in the world. And because uh, <laughs> they, they had to be, I just couldn't. But you're not going to make money selling those things. Um, you, you refuse to do it. It's not I'm about not, the money. It's I'm about not, the message. I will, I will not sell it to an individual. Uh, what I would do is it would have to be an institution, a museum that mm. would show it and take care of it. Yeah. And that's with any piece. So I, I wouldn't give, uh, I didn't make these things to, to sell. I mean, my, my theory around art and art making and art selling, if you go into your studio and you think about how am I, what am I going to make to sell your, your artwork? For me, your artwork is ruined before you even start putting the paint on the canvas or start to mold the clay. Mm -hmm. If you think about, like if you're working on a, a movie and you're thinking, you know, as you learn your lines, well, I'm going to make a lot of money for this. You don't, you don't weave that into your memory mm. as you're learning the lines because you're, you're, you're not going to be in the place of authentic playing this character. I mean, that's... I've that's, done it. I've tried. I've tried to be like, oh, you know, I can, this would sound exactly, if I said it exactly like this, mm -hmm. that would be such a moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's you're right. It's wrong. It's wrong, and you, you and it's not going to land. It's not going to land at all. I mean, you really have to. I mean, that's why if you want to play this character, you need to study this character or someone or who's doing things like them, mm -hmm. and focus on that. I mean, I I, I really like when people like oh, you, know, you got to play a person who does this, and they actually go learn how to do this. You know, even though it takes hours to learn how to do. I think that's you know you, you can really uh, you're not gonna but when feel you someone's pain because I mean you have the option of leaving I mean you can't go to say I'm gonna work at Burger King and do it as research and then if that's you actually, a really good point if you if you like got rid of all your other assets and you had to actually work at Burger King in order to pay your rent then you might actually learn how it feels to work but, at Burger King right so there's like if you get to that level and you think that you'd know that then you have to really focus on knowing you got to that precipice of mm -hmm. you're, there's one other thing that you have to explore. What if there's no escape? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And dwell in that for a little bit. And you, you and have, yeah. in, a, in, a, in several different ways and a lot of different angles. Yeah, like no safety net. I mean, when you really truly have no safety net, and uh, it feels different. I mean, one time I, I didn't have enough money to repair my tire uh, on a car or a uh, there's one, there's one scene in the movie, this won't ruin the movie, but uh, I remember I only had enough money, but like uh, like 85 cents worth of gas in the car. I mean, you, you really- 33 cents, man, is my, is my record. 30 33 cents. See, they, so you know when you're at that point- terrified. Yeah, and, 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 and that's a real thing. It's, it's a real thing, and I've seen people on the street now I mean there's homeless older people and it scares me you yeah know? and it scares me to think that we are in a society that we allow people to go homeless you know and uh, and this is every city USA mm -hmm. and um, yeah but uh, this is does your work bring you down man no it empowers me yeah because I'm addressing I'm telling the stories I have um uh, I have a deed of sale for a three-year-old Negro boy named Sam who was sold for thirty dollars 
from 1806. Mm-hmm. I'm able to tell his story because I bought this deed and this paper to show that this actually happened mm-hmm. in Maryland. This happened in the United States. That mm-hmm. that uh, you know we had child separation a lot longer, mm-hmm. a long time ago. It's just not something that's happening now. It happened a long time ago, mm-hmm. and it happened if you were a slave and you had a child. That's that child was not your child. It belonged to your uh, owner. It belonged to your slave master, and that's not talked about enough. Right. And then, you know, and there's a story of, uh, in Richmond of Henry Box Brown. You know, he uh, he worked extra hard to, uh, for his slave uh, master, uh, Allen, of Allen and Ginter, whose Ginter was the richest man in uh, in our city in, here. In, actually, he's the richest man in the state by the time he died in 1898. Mm-hmm. But long story short, Allen was overseer for uh, Box Brown, who was Henry Brown at the time, and he worked extra hard to uh, keep his family intact because he had a wife and three kids, but they were not his. They could be sold at any time, and Allen eventually sold them, and Henry Brown was so distraught, he figured out a way to have himself mailed uh, to Philadelphia, but he couldn't just call in sick. Mails. Mail in a box. So he was mailed in a box with the help of a Quaker and uh, I think a free slave and another white guy. But basically, in order to get time off, he actually burned himself with sulfuric acid on his hand. He burned himself to the bone in order to get time off. And then he was mailed to Philadelphia. That is spirit like crazy, man. Yeah. Now we're still going. That one's going to lose battery. but But it might have only right at the time that we talked about whatever that might be the part that people want to hear that's cool like after we got into the movie bit no no because we're um, doing good no this is still this is still doing good the reason i asked you if it brings you down is because what do you think of the power of um yourself in the in creating your own reality what's what's the phrase for that oh no the law of attraction no, for me it's about just acknowledging the truth. The law of attraction, though. Law of attraction? Yeah. Explain. So, the law of attraction meaning, to me, it, it's whatever you surround yourself with and whatever mm-hmm. energy you seek out in the world that becomes more of your world. Mm-hmm. So if I really like gung-ho military stuff, and I, I think that the world's at war, and the mm-hmm. wars are never going to end, and I mm-hmm. join the military, and I, mm-hmm. and I, uh, and I seek out for how bad things are in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and I, that's my world, mm-hmm. law of attraction, I, mm-hmm. I'm in it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, and people say that like, if you, you know, practice surrounding yourself with this or that, that's going to be your existence. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if like, my podcast was called The, the Mindful Revolution, because I, I really believe that there's this momentum building for people being aware in a way that's fresh, fresh. Yeah. That that really will elevate, be open to a lot of things that past generations have not been open to mm-hmm. because of the like the increased like third graders taking meditation classes, mm-hmm. understanding the power of the self, yep. understanding the, the need for love of the self. So that's the law of attraction. And I wondered if, because you're always a happy guy to talk to. And and when I asked you how you sleep, you're like, it wasn't for, you can't fall asleep. It was just, you're compelled to get up. 
there's I got several things to say. There's a law of attraction, but there's a law of distraction, and there's also this. Yeah, well, yeah, or 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 curating. Mm-hmm. I think I think the danger we have right now is just there's a lot of false enlightenment. I think a lot of folks want to see a problem, but they don't want to see how they are part of that problem. Mm. And uh, I mean, I I know my carbon footprint is big. I mean, I just went to Costco today. I, I shop, you know. I'm 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 renovating a house. You know, a house for me. You know, it's it's, it's a decent sized building. Um, I think I think we go to the news that's going to validate us and not make us feel bad about who we are, or what we're doing, or what we're not doing. So I think there's something to be said uh, around that. And I think there are people that are meditating, which is a great thing to meditate. But I think we still make ourselves numb to the people who are standing on the corner. Mm. I think you can be enlightened, but you also can have your horse blinders on to where you can see straight ahead and feel good about straight ahead and not, you can miss a lot of what's on the left and what's on the right of you. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a danger in the normalization of suffering. Uh, if we normalize suffering to where, you know, we have this tape loop in our head of why this person is homeless and we're not homeless to justify this and figuring out some way to blame them for their situation as opposed to uh, understanding that many people are one paycheck away from being homeless or one paycheck away from... Um, Present. Yeah, yeah Present. exactly. So it's, it's real. It's mm-hmm. real. So we have to acknowledge that, mm-hmm. that, that we have far more in common uh, with the people that are homeless than we do with hedge fund billionaires. Yeah. And uh, that has to be acknowledged. But we want to admire people that have money because money is our God and, and religion in many ways. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, we have to address these disparities and why these disparities exist and why this system is the way mm-hmm. that it is mm-hmm. and you know why don't we have an what why, why do we have segregated neighborhoods workplaces and schools and it's interesting my, my TED talk went on uh, YouTube today and it's, it's already hit 20 million listens in one day and there's like over last I checked there were 800 comments and they're boy they're going after you know a lot of trolling you know stuff. Dude, and, and some people are emailing me too to my email account i don't know how they figure out what my email address is that could be that's yeah that's really a law weird. of attraction like disaster to read comments oh no i, of, I can eat of any article i'm, I'm, get, I'm getting them bound you, i'm making a book out of them yeah they're, they're a hoot oh man wow well they they people People will make comments based on not even listening to it. I know, and, and, uh, and, and they'll, they'll and I don't know how that cannot just twist you into knots. Because just... I know they're making comments without looking, listening to it. <laughs> I mean, if they, if they, if someone made a negative comment and they gave a, a clear detail, like they, I listened to this one section here, and yeah, I think you're full of crap because blah blah blah. If they made a, if they made a legitimate statement, I go, you know what? You might be right. I might be full of crap, but no one does that. They, they. <laughs> They, they, there's a lot of false stats. I don't yeah. even have enough time. If I had, I, I could have hired two assistants right now to work full time to keep up with comments. They couldn't do it. No. Because they're, they're like one person say, before the Civil War, only 2% of the population owned slaves. I'm thinking, nope, that's actually wrong. You know, it's actually 40% in some places and up to, uh, yeah, 
35 to 42%, depending mm. on what part of the country you're in. Dude, the light up map. Of yeah, proliferation. That, that you put on your show mm-hmm. and played an improvised, looping mm-hmm. based. Um, yeah, the cello and bass. And the percussion. cello and bass. Yeah. That, and to see those blips on. Mm-hmm. Like that type of data is so hard to get people to absorb anything. And that's why I did and, that. And and that was like, all right, the sheer numbers of there was one you did for prisons. Yeah, yeah. Did you one. do another one for slaves? No. So I actually I did were, I did one for a slave uh count. That was like Oh, here's what, here's why I'm thinking slave yeah. is because geographically the prisons were all in those exact same states. Yep, that they're are, dense. It was like, of course, so, and and those um, that it's like metadata that can mm-hmm. actually get into your brain hole and actually yep. be processed. And dude, to me, politically, the fact that those same states have like the earliest freaking primaries before anybody knows anything. Yep. Is is why we're looking at the person that went up against Trump, but, which but, we've got mowed down like crazy. But why didn't we change that with the Gore election? Why didn't we change that in 2000 election? About it, when those primaries are? Not just the primaries, the Electoral College. People uh, complained about it then. And, and, you know, during that time, they were hanging chads. We had voter... Uh, suppression. We had the Congressional Black Caucus ask for someone to please challenge this election because of of what the black voters had to go through in Florida. Not a single yeah. Democrat or Republican senator stood up to do that. Mm. Okay. And, and the thing is, if if we really want to fix the system, we would. But we have mm. we have gerrymandering happening, and uh, we have people that are you know they're they're counting prison populations. Actually, the the organization that I got the prison data from is called Prison Policy Initiative, and they mapped. That's a lot of prisons, man. Yeah, they had intern, Rose Hare. When you? And she, she counted the data, and then I took the data and, mm-hmm. and, and mapped it and then uh, sequenced it with music. And um, mm-hmm. it's probably one of my best-known pieces. And because um, we have, I mean, I got tired of saying The, the teamwork that you must have had to make that is, oh, everything. was amazing. Well, I'm a conceptual artist, so... It's, I want to do about, the same one with um, Banks. You could do the same one with Banks. With, um, actually, I was a big anti-Hillary person. I was an anti-Hillary person. And, um, but, but but the thing is... And she's... she's the arrogance, she's though. She's such pro. Did you ever see the Nightline thing? And I never talk about politics because I'm a law of attraction. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this past one made me think that's not going to be my reality. I'm going to be dead. Yep. And what I'm going to do is focus on good conversations with as many people as I can. And mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on light and love. And mm-hmm. and how can I help? And I, I'm not going to watch the freaking news that sets this whole thing up. Yep. I'm not going to do it. Yep. And so I haven't watched the news for a long time. And I used to be headlong and dive no, you're, not, you're not missing much uh, uh, just, uh, I've lost track of a lot of things like the pop music thing Yeah. and I think you just have to I mean this is I didn't like reality shows you know what I mean I didn't like those why would I like this reality show and, uh, but, a lot of dude what I'm saying is the young people they don't there's a lot of people that that don't buy it I think a lot of people don't buy it they don't buy it but it's still affecting us it still is, but that's because the 
the kids who are very, very young now, they're coming up in a way that nobody else has. And mm. I really think that there's power to change things. So, there's power, but they have to start caring about something. Yeah. They do have to start caring about something. And, and there's a lot of kids, I don't want to say they're in a privileged position, but yeah, they're in a privileged position. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of kids that aren't having to work with their hands. And the mm-hmm. most they, what they're working, they're doing with their hands is with the keyboard, you know, they're, they're texting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, in order to be it, someone who was an activist, you actually had to go march and you had to do other things. But now people feel like they can be the armchair social activist by posting something. They feel that there's social activist, social, yeah, social network activist. And, and, and they feel like they can just go to one major march a year. Mm-hmm. You know, they can go to the women's march one year and then go to the immigration march next year. No, you got to march all the time and you got to write. You got to write. You got to write. You got to write and you got to vote and you got to um, interact with people. What's the best that, march, man, that you can think of? The most like effective, best? I think the women's march was a failure and a success for different reasons. What women's march? Was the big, the big, the, 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 the one uh, year or so ago, the, the one with the pussy hats, right? Yeah, after Trump's election. Oh, the one with okay. the pussy hats, you know, the. Yeah. I mean, all over the country, all over the world, there were a bunch of these different marches. But it was decentralized, I think. They they almost did it again. The white women left out the black women and other women of color. In Seattle, they tried really hard to, you know, to to acknowledge the Native population and other women of color. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, people forget that the Me Too movement was started, you know, by a black lady. And, uh, Miss Barton. It was? Miss Barton, yeah. It's a black woman that started that. Yeah. Weinstein? So, no, Barton. No, but was this part of the Weinstein? No, it wasn't part of the Weinstein. It, so what was the what was the it's a, the trigger of the she, whole Me Too thing? Because I, I don't know. Well, er, well, the early Me Too, the, the black woman that started it, uh, she started it uh, for to help black girls. And this is someone of a support group to, to people that have been victims of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. But then it was picked up. You know, and you know, and of course, it got bigger. Mm-hmm. And the problem with you know Hollywood being paid attention to, and domestic workers not being paid attention to, or you know, or service workers who may be threatened with deportation if they don't do something. That, I mean, that this there's a whole sect. That's that's part of the failure of Me Too. I think it's great that certain people have lost their careers, but let's let's not pretend and. and see it as a major success when we have you know these low-wage workers that are they're not going to make the news mm. and that are not going workers, to be man. talked about so it's, it's a it's a you're, hard thing you're so freaking dedicated to not leaving folks behind man and that is amazing it's about equity it's not yeah. equality it's equity and i actually mm-hmm. thought about that today where that came from but ever since i was a young kid I remember going to the barbershop, I was probably eight or nine. I remember waiting for my turn and some other guy came in after me. And then the, I think he was friends with the barber. He was gonna let him go in front of me. I was like, and I was like, no, wait a second, we're here first. Mm-hmm. But I think whoever's standing in line, you know. Should be next. Should be next, but that's not how it works. In Japan, apparently. Have you ever seen one of these videos that shows how well everything works in Japan and how respectful everybody is? Is that still happening? <laughs> 
Oh, dude, there's a video that I saw in some of my, my brothers lived in Japan and he was like, it's real. It's amazing. They're amazingly respectful. Yeah. And uh, anyway, somebody put along this, um, how crowded the subways are, but how perfectly quiet everybody is and like, yeah. I mean, get out of the way as you get on. Anyway. No, no, that's just not New cultural York. Cultural norms. But, yeah. but, 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 you know, China may be a little different in Shanghai or somewhere where people might not be the same as Japan. Uh, yeah. You know, those Asian. I've, I've, I've never been there, so I can't say, but. Yeah. At least on one video that I saw, it was like, dude, we are, this is, we're, the, we're in the wild, wild we're west. We're in the wild, wild west. I mean, you spend any time in New York. I mean, when they're in rush hour in New York, yeah. the subway, I was like, people are jockeying for positions so they can get on. Yeah. Yeah. I got to make. Uh, you got to? I got to. Well, I got to roll in a minute. Man. Do we have enough here? No, we don't have enough. But I'm always looking mean? for another host, man, because the best podcasts have somebody that comes on again. Uh-huh. And it like kind of expounds on how long was more that? Stuff. that was more I think it was forty more than forty five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, all right. Well, thanks, Paul. Paul you need, Rucker. You need to ride anywhere?